You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. All right. Um, we uh, had a, a special week last weekend. We made a special uh, family announcement to the church. So if you are part of Westside, you consider yourself part of Westside, and you didn't get that last weekend, last Sunday morning uh, at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock, if you weren't here, I'm asking you to go to our website and listen to the message. It's right up on the front page. Just uh, go to our website and uh, click on latest message, and it'll go up there, and it'll say family talk. So just click on that one. And uh, it was a very special time for us, and you actually need to hear the whole thing from start to finish. Uh, to be able uh, to do that, okay? So it's called Family Talk. Most of you were here, but if you weren't, uh, please uh, go listen to that uh, right away. So we're very privileged and we're very uh, um, blessed to have friends that we partner with as a church. Westside partners primarily, not only exclusively with, but primarily with a team of seasoned men and women of God, most of whom are church planners themselves, uh, or leading churches now, and it's a team of men and women around the world, about uh, 200, over 200 couples, uh, working into over 100 nations around the world. And although we don't have all those people in, but we have um, consistently, we have uh, several of those uh, people come in and minister in the life of the church. So over the years, Russ and Mary have been here quite a few times. They've, then they see kind of snapshots as they come and and see God moving among us. And so we want to receive from them. They're not, uh, Russ is not a guest speaker this morning. We don't just bring in a guest speaker because we need somebody to fill a slot. But he's actually helping to build into the life of the local church to, to help uh, lay good uh, foundation and to encourage us and propel us on to our next step. It's always wise to have some outside input. Probably a good example would be adult children. Uh, your, your adult children, they're adults, they can do whatever they want, but they're, they're wise if they get your counsel from, from time to time. And they don't have to take it because uh, they're not under your roof anymore, but they're wise uh, if they do uh, consider that. And so uh, we're so privileged uh, to be, Terry and I are on team with Russ and Mary. Uh, we're also privileged to have known them uh, close to 38 years now. We were uh, on eldership when we were uh, younger in a previous millennium. And uh, so, <laughs> yeah, it was right after Noah's flood. <laughs> and uh, so in 1992, Russ and Mary left uh, the USA and planted a church in Australia. And uh, they really believe in this thing of going to the nations. They've turned that, o- that church over since to their son, uh, Matt, and his wife. And uh, so we're privileged to have uh, Russ com- uh, come today. Why don't you come on up, Russ? They're now based in the church in Denver where we sent Dave and Ashley and, and uh, Sarah uh, and Dustin and Brianna. We've, we've sewn into this church plant. We were uh, integral in the beginning of that church, and so uh, they're based there now. And so Mary has a word for us. If She might just preach the whole time, though. <laughs> I'm, just, uh, I'm just a doormat. I just stand here and look good. This is Methuselah. I'm Methuselah's wife. <laughs> No, just during worship, the Lord dropped the scripture from Hosea um, into my heart, and I want to read it to you. Obviously, it's a prophet. Hosea was a prophet, and so it's speaking of the church as a whole in this prophetic word. But I actually felt it was specifically for you, and maybe some even some individuals in here. 
It's Hosea, um, the last chapter 14, um, starting with verse 5. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall grow like the lily and lengthen his roots like Lebanon. His branches shall spread. His beauty shall be like an olive tree and his fragrance like Lebanon. Those who dwell under his shadow shall return. They shall be revived like grain and grow like a vine. Their scent shall be like the wine of Lebanon. Just feel like the Holy Spirit saying, there's growth ahead for you guys. There's growth in numbers. There's growth in character. There's growth in richness of relationship. And the part that stood out to me that might be for some individuals, he shall grow like the lily. And the lily grows, um, a lot of the growth is underground. You know, over the winter, it's, I think it has little bulbs. Maybe some of you know more about flowers than I do. And you can actually divide them. But sometimes the growth that happens underground, um, there's not much evident, you know, in the winter of what's happening, um, the life that's going on. But the Holy Spirit sometimes uses times of when we're going through difficulties or going through um, changes or transition. He uses the underground things to work on our character. And Jesus talked about that in Matthew 6, you know, the secret things. When you do a good deed, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Not when you're looking for the praises of men, Mm. but the secret things that take place in the heart. And I feel like there's a lot of that going on right now. Maybe some of you don't understand the circumstances you've been going through in recent times. But the Lord sees, and the Lord is doing something good in strengthening your roots and in multiplying. And there's going to be great fruit from it. Growth in your own life, and it's going to impact this body and even this city. So thank you. Pray for people. Go ahead. Go ahead, pray for us. Father, we honor you. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Jesus, we fix our gaze on you. I pray for anyone that has been going through maybe a difficult time this, in this season. Father, I pray that even now your Holy Spirit would minister to them. That Holy Spirit, you would wrap the arms of Jesus around them. And that you would give them courage in this, this time and in this hour to be the person that you want them to be in the secret place where no one else sees. We know that you build character in the secret place. And that's what you reward. And you'll reward us openly. Father, maybe not now. Maybe not until we're face to face with you, Jesus. But you're a good father and the reward will be there. But I'm asking that even there'd be a sense of your reward now, of your goodness poured out, of your favor, of fresh life, that the wind of the Spirit, even now as I pray, would blow on these precious ones, God, that you would breathe fresh life. In the mighty name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. Amen. Good morning. If you'd open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. You know, sometimes when we only see in the natural, things look uh, like the world's falling apart around us. But I want to tell you, there's never been a more exciting time to be part of the kingdom of God. God's doing more today than ever before in history. Today, about 200,000 people are going to get saved around the world. Every day, about 200,000 people get saved. Isn't that amazing? We have some friends in Germany who lead a church, and they were telling us uh, a few months back 
they, do, uh, they have some refugees who are part of their church from Iran. In Iran right now, in this last about two or three years, almost 5,000 Iranians get saved every single day. Wow. One of the fastest growing sections of the church in the world. God's at work. There was one of the guys there decided he needed to get baptized. So he got on a bus and took a three-day trip across the border into Turkey, where you can't get baptized if you're Turkish, but there was an Iranian church, and they don't really care about the Iranians. And so he went over there and got baptized. Three days, took him a whole week. Now it's one of the largest tourism industries in Iran. Christians going across the border to get baptized. Isn't that awesome? I just like that. God's doing good stuff. And we get to be part of it. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. I used to read that and think, these guys must have really hated fishing. <laughs> these guys are with their dad in the boat that Jesus calls them. And they immediately leave, leave dad and the, the that and everything. And they didn't understand that in that day, every young man studied in rabbinical school. And they learned parts of the Bible, what is now the Bible. In fact, by the time they finished rabbinical school, they would have memorized all of the Pentateuch, the first five books, word for word. And in that study, they would wait for a rabbi to come and choose them to be part of his ongoing training because their greatest desire in that culture was to become a rabbi. Now, these guys were fishing. They didn't make the cut. The rabbi came and said, I'll take Frank. I'll take Frank. Frank, come follow me. And they... They weren't chosen, so they went back to fishing. And then along comes Jesus, and the words he uses are the same words that the rabbi would use. Come, follow me. And they left everything. Because now they got selected. It'd be like you get selected for the NFL draft in our culture. How many of you know the history of Joe Montana? played football, didn't get drafted. Uh, the coach of San Francisco actually found him working in a uh, uh, health food st short, store, shop, and said, come, I want you to play. He became one of the greatest quarterbacks in history. That's, that's what being called to be a disciple of Jesus was about. And then in, uh, in Matthew 11, verse 28 Jesus is saying, come to me, all you who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and I, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. That word yoke literally meant the teaching of the rabbi. 
the rabbi had a way of looking at Scripture, and it became what identified him, and it was called his yoke. So when he called someone to come follow me and take my yoke upon him, he says, come and learn from me. Follow my teaching. And that's what Jesus was saying. It's not actually the uh, you know, yoke of oxen and you, you, know, you get in a yoke. It's a similar thing, but it's, it's identifying yourself with this rabbi. And the teaching that identifies him as separate from everyone else. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus was different. It wasn't how much do you memorize. There was something else happening. In fact, from that point, he takes it a huge step farther in Luke 6. Verse 40, he says this, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Why is that a step further? Because it's not you accept the teaching, but you actually become like the teacher. That's a big step. Come follow me. Take my yoke upon you and become like me. That's pretty amazing. In fact, in uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18, you guys would know this, but it says, For we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. What's the Holy Spirit doing today? If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a disciple. You've been called to follow him. And the Holy Spirit is making you like Jesus. Isn't that pretty cool? Where some of the historical discipleship movements have missed it is, in that, is that many of them you became a disciple of a person. The discipleship movement, the G12 of the 90s, discipleship movement of the 1970s, you become my disciple. You don't want to become like me. We're disciples of Jesus. You want to become like him. That's what the Holy Spirit's at work doing. Before I was called to be a pastor, I was a disciple. After I'm finished being a pastor, I'm a disciple of Jesus. We get to be like him. That's the wonderful thing. Say that, I'm becoming like Jesus. Jesus. Say it again, because some of you didn't believe it. (laughs) I'm becoming like Jesus. Now look at the person next to you and say, you're becoming like Jesus. Yeah, you guys didn't say that very well, did you? Sometimes that takes more faith, huh? We're becoming like Jesus. The Holy Spirit's at work. In what ways? I want to tell you three, three ways real quick that we're becoming like Jesus, that the Holy Spirit's at work in your life. One is that he's developing the character of Jesus. We're being changed into his image. That word image isn't like a photograph that we look like him. It, it actually means a representation. We represent him. We're being changed into his image. There's a whole lot of things, and I got way too caught up on this on uh, Thursday night. Ran out of time to get to the end, and my wife said, you didn't get to the good part. (laughs) 
So if you were here on Thursday night, I apologize. Uh, but we're being conformed to his image. A number of years ago, Mary and I, we led a church in Australia, Steve said, and uh, our, our oldest son at the time was, I don't know, about 17, was leading a home group in our house. And we would go out to leave the home group. It was mostly young people. And we came home, and they had left. We came home, and, and somebody had left a sweater on the, the chair. And I walked, I said, ah, someone left a sweater. I wonder whose it is. And Mary walked over and picked it up, smelled it. She said, oh, that's Elodie's. Now, this is, Elodie wasn't our son's uh, wife. She is now. She, they weren't even dating. She was just someone in the, in the youth. And, I, and my first thought as a male was, there's no way. <laughs> How in the world do you know that's Elodie's from smelling it? My wife is a genius. Because she didn't argue with me. She just handed it to me and said, smell it. And I did. And there was some combination of perfume and, and body lotion and soap or something that smelled like Elodie. It had the aroma of Elodie. The Bible talks about us having the aroma of Christ. Do we smell like Jesus? One of the characteristics that is primary in Jesus and that the Holy Spirit is working in us is humility. Jesus humbled himself, Philippians 2, said he did not count being equal with God something to be held onto, but he humbled himself taking the form of a servant. And he humbled himself even unto death. The death of a cross. Why is that such an important part? Matthew chapter 16 says that Jesus says, I give you keys of the kingdom. There's some scholarly question about what that actually means, but the bottom line is keys unlock things. And so the keys unlock things. I want to tell you, humility unlocks grace. Both James and Peter says God's opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You don't want God being opposed to you. If anyone's opposed to you, you don't want it to be God. The word opposed says to actively work against, but God gives grace to the humble. When there's humility, grace is unlocked. Why, was, why did Jesus not count equality with God something to be held onto, but emptied himself, being found in the likeness of man, was came to earth, was born in a manger, not because he came to die for poor people, though he did include that, but because by humbling himself, grace broke into this planet. Unearned, unmerited favor. One of the things that God's doing, there's a whole bunch more integrity and, and dependence on God, and I don't want to have time to go into all those this morning. But the second area that the Holy Spirit's making us like Jesus is in hearing God's voice. You know, it's the privilege of every believer. It's not just the prophetic people that can hear God. Everyone has that privilege. Think about that. Everybody. We have that privilege. Jesus said something amazing in Matthew chapter 4. He's being tempted by the devil, and the very first thing he says is, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We get hung up on the bread, but what he was saying is that we live by hearing God's voice. Yeah. We live by hearing God's voice. John chapter 10, my sheep follow me because they know my voice. Now if that's not good enough, Jesus 
in, in the book of John five times says he did nothing of his own initiative or his own authority. But only what he heard the Father saying or saw the Father doing. Jesus was establishing something. We have the privilege of being in relationship with God so we can actually hear his voice. When you don't know what to do, God can actually speak. He doesn't actually expect you. Sometimes we think it's only on big things. I had a friend who was a uh, mechanic. And he was, this was a number of years ago in South Africa when we lived there. And he was rebuilding a car and a carburetor and it just wouldn't work. And he began to pray and said, God, you know, what's the, what's the problem with this? And he had a picture come to his mind of a little spring. And he went, nah, that's not it. I, I replaced that spring. And so he's tearing the thing apart and he's, you know, keeps praying and he keeps getting this picture of the spring. So he finally humbled himself enough because <laughs> he thought he was a great mechanic and he took it apart and the spring that he put in was actually broken. Does God care about carburetors? He holds all things together. <laughs> Even carburetors. We have the privilege. So Jesus said he did, not, did, did nothing of his own initiative. How come we think we have to know what to do? I've got to learn enough or know enough or have enough experience so that I know what to do and I don't actually need God. Early on when I was in ministry, a couple of years ago, I was two at that time. It's, I know it's hard to believe that we've been friends for 38 years because I know I don't look like I'm that old, right? I want you to know I dye my hair this color because it actually works really well in Asia. <laughs> no, that's, that's not true. But, but I perceive that you have discernment. As a very young, uh, young minister, some people had come in to the uh, office looking for some help with something in marriage, and I had no clue. And so I was, before they came, I'm on my knees going, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I need you. And the Holy Spirit gave me a word of wisdom. And it was, and they just went, wow, the lights came on, and, and God broke in, and, and that was fantastic. But you know, 10, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, 38 years, go by and we face the same thing maybe four, five, six, eight, ten times. And the problem is we now think we know what should happen. So now we're relying on our experience rather than on the Holy Spirit. Rather than hearing God. And we think we know and the problem is with that is that we're no longer walking in partnership with God. We're just kind of leading and telling Him what to do. Mary and I, again, leading a church in, in Australia, and one of the gals in the church asked us to come to the hospital and pray for her father, who was in the hospital with a really bad arthritis, uh, couldn't get around the house, asked us to come and pray. And I had been taught at some point in some seminar on healing that sometimes arthritis is associated with unforgiveness or bitterness. Not always. I guess not a rule, but sometimes. 
And I knew a little of this guy's history from his daughter and son-in-law and how he had been falsely accused. He was a pastor, or one of the pastors of a church, been falsely accused about some money, which wasn't the, the case. It actually came out a couple years later that was one of the other guys who was actually taking money. But they ended up kicking him out of the church. And, and so I, semi-intelligent sometimes. And I can put two and two together. So I'm going here to pray for this guy. And I'm thinking, oh, he's, he's obviously bitter and hurt. So I got a game plan going into this. And as I walk into the hospital room, the Holy Spirit spoke into my heart and said, there's no bitterness in this man at all. And you would think I'd be excited. I went, oh, doggone. <laughs> now I don't know what to do. And so what did I, so they asked us to pray for him. And what we did, we just began to pray in the Spirit. And sometimes when you pray in the Spirit, you also have an understanding. So sometimes when you pray in the Spirit, you also pray with the understanding. And so as we're praying, I begin to break uh, curses spoken over him by other Christians. And after we prayed, he asked me, why did you pray that? And so I had to be honest and tell him that my whole game plan got shut out the window when we walked in. <laughs> okay, one of the characters, characteristics of the Holy Spirit's working in us is humility. Right? right? So I had to be honest, like, because I had no clue. But the next morning, he was healed. Wonderful. He wasn't healed right then. He was healed the next morning. Humility. Just keep that one in mind. A lot of times when things don't happen the way we think we, they should, it's because God's working on our humility. But he was healed. Huh? Underground. Underground. Hearing God is one of the greatest privileges... See, the kingdom is relational. Romans 12, I mean, 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Okay? I was raised in a fundamental evangelical church, and we actually taught that faith comes by hearing the word of God. But that's actually rhema. It's a relational term. Faith is a relational thing. When God says, I want to do something, then faith rises within us. And we say, yes, God can do it. Why? Our faith isn't in our ability to pray. It isn't in the circumstance. Faith is in the faithfulness of God. God says he wants to do something. Who can stop him? So you need to understand that life flows from intimacy. The presence of God, hearing him is where life flows. As in the natural and the spiritual. You get married, you're madly in love, you have this exquisite intimacy. And sometimes there's conception. The same way as we come into God's presence, as we worship Him, sometimes He speaks something to us and something is conceived. Okay, we don't tell him. We just, we just enjoy being with him. Yeah. But from intimacy, life flows. Our son Eric was uh, 15. We lived in, again, almost, I'm sounding like a, an old guy. <laughs> All my stories are from Australia. But uh, 
we had felt as a family, we had heard God that we were to go with a, a team to Thailand. And I challenged our boys that, that they needed to believe God for the, the finances because I didn't have it. We're planning a church and at that point. And our oldest son, no, no problem. He's like 19 at the, the time. He's got a job, so he's just going to save his money. And he did. And our second son was in his last year of high school, which was quite intense in Australia. And he just said, God, I can't work, so unless you provide, I can't go. And within two weeks, someone in the church felt God say to them to pay for Andrew to go. But our youngest son, Eric, was 15, and uh, he's in school. And he worked hard, and he mowed lawns, and he saved his money, and he did whatever he could. And a week before we were supposed to go, uh, supposed to have the money for the uh, airfare, he comes to me and says, Dad, I only have three hundred dollars. The airfare is twelve hundred and fifty. He said, "I only have three hundred dollars. What do I do?" Being a very wise and intelligent man, I said, "Bud, you better go ask God because I have no clue." <laughs> so he did. He came back about an hour later and said, "He said he had heard from God, and God said for him to give away what he had." to sow it as seed. I said, but you can't lose because you can't get there in $300 anyway. <laughs> right? So you obey God and see what happens. And so he gave the $300 to another uh, gal in the, the youth who was going who was $300 short of her airfare. So I said, hey, bottom line is that she gets to go anyway instead of two of you not going. And uh, two days later, we get a check in the mail from someone, a friend of ours in the States, that had been sent six months previous. They went to Australia via South America. <laughs> and with the exchange rate, that day, it totaled $1,250. God's faithful. From intimacy flows life. He heard God. And he obeyed and sowed what he had. Guys, the, the principle isn't take what you have and give it away and sow it. The principle is hear God and then do whatever he says. That makes sense. Third thing the Holy Spirit's at work in you doing is becoming like Jesus in ministry. John chapter 14. One of our favorites, verse 12 says, most assuredly, you know what most assuredly means? It actually is translated in the Revised Standard, truly, truly. It's when Jesus is saying something, everything he says is, is important. But when he says this, he's saying, make a note, this is really important. Everything's important, but this is extra important. Most assuredly, truly, truly, pay attention here. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do because I go to my Father. So many people get hung up on the believing. If you're a disciple of Jesus, your mission and your privilege is to do the works that Jesus did. It's not, don't get introspective if I only had more faith. No, just hear what God says and obey what he says. That's all it takes. If you have enough faith to obey, he can do whatever he wants. Think about that. The mark of faith is not the result, the mark of faith, is the obedience. Let me say that again, because that was important. The mark of faith is not the result. 
We often look at the results and say, oh, he had great faith. The mark of faith is the obedience. We had a gal in our church. She was an accountant. I'm sorry, she had a business. She went to the accountant's office, not that accountant. Another accountant. And she went there, and, and she was a little bit early, and so she had to wait. And, and so she was sitting there in the, in the uh, reception area waiting. And the Holy Spirit spoke to her and said, I want you to go pray for that, the receptionist. Now, she had noticed when she checked in, the receptionist had uh, eczema. Is that, I always looked at my wife because I get that mixed up with something else. She had eczema on her hands and her neck. And the Holy Spirit said, I want you to go pray for that gal. And this, the gal from our church, her name is Raquel, said, oh, God. I can't do that. Nothing will happen. I don't have faith for that. I was focused on the, the accountant. But we had been talking just about obedience. And so, you know how the Holy Spirit, we argue with him and he doesn't actually change. <laughs> you ever notice that? But it's almost like he's just sitting there quietly looking at you. And you just have this sense of... And so she went, okay, I'll go pray. So she goes up to the receptionist and she says, you know, I know you have this, can I pray for you? Now when you ask someone in Australia if you can pray for them, their kind of religious background is very Catholic there. And so they think when you ask that you're going to pray for them that next time you go to church you're going to light a candle for them or something. So almost always people say yes. But they never expect you to actually pray for them right there. So she said, can I pray for you? And this gal says, yes. And so Raquel grabs her hands and begins to pray for her. The gal's going, as all Australians do. And she prays for her. And you know what happened? Nothing. And Raquel goes back and sits down and says, God, I told you nothing was going to happen. And the Holy Spirit says, well done, good and faithful servant. I didn't ask you to heal her. Because you can't heal anyone I asked you to pray for. Two days later, she gets a phone call. It's this receptionist on the phone. You've healed me! You've healed me! <laughs> Gal woke up the next morning totally free of eczema. She'd had it for 30 years from the time she was six years old. Totally free. She waited another 24 hours before she called Raquel because she didn't believe she was actually healed. <laughs> Whose faith? It was the faith of obedience. That's all you need. Enough faith to obey. So God says, pray for that person. You know what? You just go pray for them. All you have to do is obey. I was praying for a gal who had a, a problem with her, her back. She couldn't move. I was with a, another friend. Neither one of us had any faith. We're, we're praying for this gal and we're just going, I have no faith. But we're going to obey. If any of you are sick, let them call the elders. We were the elders, we went, we anointed her with oil and we prayed and God touched her and healed her and she, she actually got up out of her house walked around the house, went outside and ran down the street and back. She had not been out of bed for months. All we had enough faith for was to obey. Takes all the pressure off, huh? Isn't it fun? So we get this wonderful idea that the big picture of doing the work, the ministry of Jesus is advancing the the kingdom. But there's a whole lot of other stuff that he does to advance the kingdom, to, to show people that he's real. I'm running out of time to get into all these. I, I get into all these stories and then I get so excited. 
Every single one of us has the privilege of sharing the gospel with people. Every single one of us has the privilege of praying for the sick when Jesus says to. Every single one of us has the authority to cast out demons. Every single one of us gets to be part of what God's doing in advancing the kingdom. Isn't that fun? Isn't that cool? All from being a disciple, not from being a leader, not from being a pastor, not from being a Bible college uh, graduate or a seminary graduate, from simply being a disciple of Jesus, which we all are. God uses some of the most ordinary people. I'm sure glad he does. Otherwise, I would have been left out. So what does that mean for us? We're going to finish with a song here in just a moment about following Jesus. I just want to remind you, you're a disciple before anything else. Work with what the Holy Spirit's doing in your life. Don't, don't fight against Him. You know, humility, when pride comes in, the Holy Spirit lovingly, gently brings some correction. And sometimes some of us are so thick that he actually has to use circumstances to correct us. Because when he whispers in our ear, we don't listen. He says, ah, this is pride. And we say, be, be gone, devil. And the Holy Spirit's saying, yeah, no, okay, let me bring some circumstances. So maybe you're facing some things. And you say, okay, God, what are you doing in my life? I'm going to ask you to stand. If the, uh, the worship team, awesome worship team would come. Let me say this. If you're not a disciple of Jesus, he's here today saying to you, come, follow me. The greatest privilege that you can then become like him. As we sing this, I'm going to ask Paul, if you, whoever you have with you, Paul and Andrew, go to the back. If you're not a disciple of Jesus, they would love to introduce you to him and pray with you. Today's your day. Yes, yes. Jesus is saying, come follow me. You know what the disciples did? You know why they became disciples? Because they immediately dropped what they were doing and responded to the call of Jesus. Awesome. Today's your day. For some of the rest of us, let's just allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us as we sing. I felt uh, as I was praying this morning that there's some here that you actually have felt like there's a burden on you. There's a weight a little weight on you. Uh, I'm not sure if that's physical or if that's circumstantial, but you have felt this weight. And Jesus is still saying, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He wants to bring freedom to you today. You don't have to carry that. Maybe somebody else has put that on you. Maybe somebody has said you have to do this and this and this and this and this and this. All you got to do is what he says. And he's still a good, good father. As we sing, just allow the Holy Spirit. As Steve said the other night, one minute of the Holy Spirit dealing with us can accomplish more than months and months and months of counseling. The Holy Spirit can break in. Amen. Thanks, guys.